0: Anyways, doctors. I wanted to be many things growing up. Never did I want to be a
1: doctor. I wanted to be a doctor. Like I fully wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a medical examiner. Instead of summer camp, I went to, the first time I was away from my mother for more than like a night was a medical school program. I think sophomore going into junior year of college. And I did that for two years. And what changed was- working at the Smithsonian, like fully changed my, my mind. I also wanted to be a surgeon, but I think that was, I was watching too much Grace Anatomy while studying. I for think the you were also watching Grace Anatomy ACT too much.
0: This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women.
2: Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Hey, Lexi, what's your favorite hospital?
0: The one that I built in Two Point Hospital. Well, I built many (laughs) in Two Point Hospital, but the hospitals in Two Point
1: Hospital because they're not real.
2: And Haley, what's the weirdest thing that sent you to the ER?
1: I think it's that my left finger is slightly smaller than my right finger or my middle finger. My left, this finger is smaller than this finger, this left one, because in the fifth grade, it was gym class and I broke my middle finger right at the growth plate by catching a basketball.
2: And I'm Alana and my mom made my doctor's appointments until
1: I was 19 years old. (laughs) I knew you were going to use that one. Of course I was. My mom does still make some of my appointments and the only appointment is for my eye doctor because we're family friends with him. So I have no shame if someone's like, oh yeah, I have my mom make my do- like eye doctor appointment because it'd be so, it's just too I easy I moved for her. across the country from my parents
2: and they were like, oh, you're on your fucking own now, bitch. They didn't call me bitch, but they were like, you're on your own now. Make- you're grown up. Make your own appointments.
1: Oh, yeah. Anything that happens in D.C., my mom is like, no, no, you're an adult and I'm now on my own insurance. So I don't know where that lies with going to the eye doctor.
0: warning for my story uh it does contain some child marriage and everything going along with that a Joshi was born in bombay in 1865 at the age of nine she was forced into a child marriage with a 30 year old man who acted as her teacher despite the stigma against women's education at the time he taught her many subjects including math her first child born when she was 13 died at just 10 days old. This tragedy inspired her journey to a medical career because she believed better medical care would save babies like hers. Her husband actively encouraged her to pursue her academic interests, but her country did not support women's education at the time, so she moved to America to study medicine. She attended the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania, which their archives are at Drexel, but like it's technically not Drexel, but Drexel absorbed it, whatever, in case it matters if you're looking for the archives, in 1883. While at college, it was important to her to continue her cultural traditions and the dean of the college noticed that she wasn't eating and discovered it was because her living situation, like the dormitory, did not allow her to prepare culturally acceptable food appropriately. So the dean moved Ananda Bey into her home where she could eat food she was accustomed to and that suited her desire to honor her culture. She lived with the Dean for the rest of her stay in Philadelphia, and I will note that one source did say that the Dean, much later after this, said she regretted housing a heathen as a good Christian woman, which is extremely fucked up and made me uncomfortable. Bay wore her sari to class, much to the surprise of her American classmates, many of whom who had not seen the attire before. She was not the only international student at the school though. There were other international students there while she was there. She studied with Kay Okami from Tokyo, Japan, Tabat M. Islamboli from Damascus, Syria. Both Kay and Tabat were the first women from their countries to complete a degree in Western medicine. After completing her medical degree, Dr. Joshi accepted a position working in India as a physician in charge of a women's ward at a hospital. Queen Victoria, who was technically in charge of India at the time because colonialism, even sent her personal congratulations on the position. She set sail for home in 1886. Within a few months before she was able to begin working, tuberculosis unfortunately took her life. She was only 22. Hindu traditional funeral rites were followed and she was cremated, but instead of following the tradition of scattering her ashes in the four local winds, her husband insisted on sending her ashes to be buried in the United States, believing it's what she would have wanted. Today, Anandabi is remembered as the first Indian woman to earn a medical degree in the United States.
1: Kicking it way back to 1360 Italy, we're opening this history book to Dorotea Buca's story. And usual reminder to take this like archaeological history of a grain of salt that 1630 was super long time ago. And while we don't have concrete hardcore archaeological evidence, especially for her, but just about a lot of things, because some scholars even doubt that she was a real human, but possibly a lady made up by the university she worked at to give it a popularity boost. So in some ways, Dorothea was a very lucky lady that she was a noble woman. So like wealthy in Italy, one of the few places noted in Europe at the time that wasn't so absurdly sexist that they would let a lady ever so kindly become a doctor. She says sarcastically, women should be doctors all the time, anytime, anywhere. Dorotea was also lucky that her father, Giovanni Buca, was a physician because while 14th, 15th century Italy didn't have much of a gender bias, she says, again, like stretching the truth because there was always gender bias, there's still gender bias. I got the sense from some reading that like Dorotea being the child or daughter of Giovanni, a physician, that it was very easy for her to like take your daughter to work day. And, like, he backed her up, especially with schooling and, like, wanting to follow in those sort of footsteps. And because, you know, what, bottom line is, if you had full gender equality, that would just be silly. Anywho, she followed in her father's footsteps and became a professor of medicine at the University of Bologna. I'm so butchering that. That's one of the words. Like I have top five words I will never say on this podcast. And I have made sure I've never said them on the podcast. I can never pronounce. And I have said one of them. I always read as baloney, but it's bologna. We're moving it on. I'm gonna call it the university. Obviously, can't take all the credit because they weren't gonna hire her if she wasn't just like a brilliant human being and could hold her own as a physician. She has been praised by the school. So again, why some professors were like, why is the school only praising her? It's fine. I would love to talk to some scholars who like think that she's not because like their evidence for her not being a real human was like very weird. And I did not take into full consideration as being true why I'm doing this lady acting as if she was a real human, because just because we don't have bones doesn't mean that she wasn't like around alive and well at one time. The university praised her for being such a great public speaker. And she fully took over her father's position of professor of medicine and philosophy, which sounds strange now, but combining medicine and philosophy wasn't that strange. And it's noted that this was around like 1390, like I said in the beginning of the story. But again, take it a grain of salt, end of the 1300s, early of the 1400s common era. And she apparently held this position for 40 years. So an Italian museum article and an honorable mention to Google Translate and my crappy Latin skills that were stretching into Italian, we know that she was paid for this position. Her being paid was actually like a good lump of cash. It wasn't no pity party here. There is also scholarly notes that she was accepted as a physician and a professor, not only just having it for 40 years and being paid, but just knowing that it wasn't all like a boys club, that there are like points of, Hey, she was accepted. She was welcomed. Who knows? I would like to know more because she's also on Judy Chicago's table for the, I think it's called like the dinner table, but they didn't have like a full bio for her. Like when I say full bio, it's more like, three sentences rather than the extensive ones they have for the people who actually have like the table set in her name's just written on there but to get a better grasp of than the five or so facts I've flung at you listeners is actually looking at her Wikipedia page and I know my middle school and high school and some of my college teachers are yelling at me right now but here here's the thing the further learning would have been all these links that were linked in her Wikipedia. And I'm not going to make Alana put every single link on the Tumblr, nor make you guys look through every single link. If you scroll down for like any Wikipedia page where it's like all the footnotes, but also like the external links, those were actually pretty decent. A lot of them came from like scholarly books or other like museums. So like I, I endorse it to an extent. It did not go through every single one. My notes are purely coming from like, museum and another educational blog that had sources. Um, and one of the sources was actually one that I used. So putting it, all the puzzle pieces together. I hope you enjoyed that puzzle, somewhat of a picture that came out. Also, I don't have a picture for her. So that's the picture you're seeing on the Instagram is from the Wikipedia and it's like labeled as like medieval female physician in the medieval ages or something like that. So that's, that's fun.
2: I almost picked this lady for our birthday episode, but decided to cover Barbara Tuckman instead because we had the doctor's episode coming up and I knew I could cover this lady for that episode. Lucille Teasdale was born January 30th, 1929, which is my birthday and which also makes her an Aquarius in Montreal, Canada into a Catholic, very middle-class, very average family. She was the fourth of seven children. So right in the middle. And when she was 12, she was moved by the stories of nuns helping out in Chinese orphanages and proclaimed to her father that she was also going to be a doctor and help people. And she did that. In 1950, she started medical school at the University of Montreal and graduated cum laude in 1955. She entered in surgery at a local pediatric hospital where she met her future husband and philanthropic partner, Piero Corti. An Italian doctor with big dreams of establishing a teaching hospital in Africa. He was already like looking into a clinic in Lacor, Uganda. Google Translate says Lacor, but Google Translate could also be wrong. And Lucille was like, hello, our goals and plans align. Interesting. In 1960, Lucille left Canada to do her residency in Marseille, and Piero left for Uganda. In 1961, Piero went to visit Lucille in France and was like, bestie. Please, I need you. I will buy your plane ticket and cigarettes and toothpaste. I'm obviously paraphrasing, but but he did offer to pay for those things. And Lucille agreed, but she said she couldn't be gone for long. That would not stick. They arrived in Uganda to a 40-bed, six-staff hospital, and Lucille ended up staying there. Uh, She and Piero got married in December of 1961 at the hospital chapel, and their daughter, Dominique, was born in 1962. Also in 1962, Uganda got its freedom from Britain. Nice. This will be important later. Lucille spent the next several years being a surgeon at and building up Lacor Hospital, and it's awesome. She's doing a great job. Piero is too, and it's his pet project, but we're not talking about Piero. We're talking about Lucille. In 1971, the Ugandan Civil War broke out, and all of a sudden, Lucille was a war surgeon. She operated on people from both sides because she was like, people are people, and I am a doctor. And so it is my job to heal people, and I will do that. It is estimated that she performed 13,000 operations at LACOR Hospital, and she and Pierre grew the hospital over 10 times from 40 beds to almost 500. They aimed to provide, quote, the best possible care to the greatest number of people at the least possible cost. And they did that. LACOR Hospital became so valuable to the Ugandan people that in 1989, when the hospital was in danger of shutting down due to civil war activities, both factions agreed to leave the hospital alone. In 1985, after a series of health problems, Lucille discovered that she had contracted HIV while operating on wartime patients, but she continued to work at least six hours a day despite her failing health. She died on August 1st, 1996 of AIDS. HIV often leads to AIDS, that's why. She is buried with her husband on the grounds of the hospital that she spent her entire life working on. Their daughter, Dominique, founded the Teasdale-Corty Foundation, which continues working with the LACOR Hospital, and you can find more info on it in further learning.
0: You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on LadyHistoryPod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself.
2: Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Instagram at Girlbum.productions. Our theme music is by me, Garage Band and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us, and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History.
1: Next week on Lady History, let's talk about sex, baby, part two.